Uh, we're going to be looking in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for our scripture reading today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for the one for him who died for them and rose again. Uh, what a great, great passage we have before us today. I'm going to be talking about the fact that Christ died for all. As it's put in this passage, one died for all. Theologically, we speak of the doctrine of atonement. And when we're talking about the doctrine of atonement, we are speaking primarily of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It is presented very clearly in our text today with this simple expression, one died for all. One died for all. And that one, of course, is Jesus Christ. Now, Paul has been accused, as he was numerous times over the course of his life, as being somewhat beside himself. Uh, that means that Paul had kind of lost his mind, was maybe a little bit uh, disoriented, uh, maybe a little crazy. And, and so uh, uh, he is vindicating himself against that charge. Uh, all of us might uh, give a little bit of a credence to the idea that uh, in some way at least all of us might be a little bit beside ourselves. Uh, I personally like it when I walk in the building every day and uh, I have to go back and have my temperature taken and it just makes me feel good when they say I'm normal and uh, <laughs> I, I, I like that. <laughs> uh, maybe like me you've been accused of being a little bit beside yourself from time to time and you resemble that accusation a little bit from time to time. Um, but Paul said, no, I'm not beside myself. I am compelled by the love of Jesus Christ, and I am compelled by the fact that one died for all. You might be amazed to, under, to find out or to hear that there are actually Christians and preachers, missionaries, uh, professors, theologians, uh, serious Bible students. They, they, they love Jesus uh, they love the scriptures. Uh, they defend the sovereignty of God and the grace of God and the omnipotence of God. And, and, and they have a very high view of God and a high view of scripture. And yet they have bought into an idea that is rapidly growing in our country and literally around the world. And that is that God only loves some and that Jesus only died for some. For some of you, it may be the first time you've ever heard that idea in your life. Others may have been exposed to it in your college years because it's rampant on the college campuses. Uh, many, many successful authors, writers, many books are written bestsellers. Many young pastors pastoring uh, huge growing churches are, are preaching and proclaiming this idea that Christ only died for some, that he didn't die for everybody, that God only loves some. But the Apostle Paul makes things pretty clear for us 
in this passage today when he said, one died for all. For all. I want to give you a couple of other passages of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. In fact, I've got a bunch of them I want to give you today. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. There it is again. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Uh, Paul coming right back to this same idea. Paul, why are you putting yourself through all of this? Paul, why do you go to so many places where they hate you? Why, Paul, are you, are you preaching? And even though people hate you and they don't want to hear what you have to say, why do you keep going? Why do you keep doing it? Herein, he says, this is why that we labor the way we labor, why we work the way we work, why we suffer the way we suffer, why we bear reproach the way we bear reproach. This is why, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things, Paul said to the young preacher Timothy, you command and teach. I want you to know this morning that this passage of Scripture declares for us that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the only Savior. There is no other Savior beside Him. But though he is the Savior of the whole world, he is the Savior of all men, Paul says very plainly in this passage, it is especially to those that believe. You see, Jesus' death on Calvary does not simply apply across the board to all of humanity, although it could. It could. He paid the price for the sins of the world. He died for all men, for every man. One died for all. Jesus Christ's death is sufficient to save every person on this planet today. But it is effective only to those who believe, especially of those that believe. These things then, he says, command and teach. How about another one? First John chapter 2 and verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So if we talk about atonement, and that's a, a good Bible word, a good theological word. It means uh, to pay the price, uh, uh, to die as a substitute. Uh, we add in this other Bible word, propitiation. That's not a word we use every day. But it is a very good word. It's a Bible word. And it refers then specifically uh, to the payment of price uh, that satisfies or appeases. When someone looks at something and says, I'm satisfied with that. A debt has been uh, occurred and, and, and they can say, that debt is paid then the obligation has been satisfied. And in this case, the one who was satisfied was God himself. Jesus Christ then is the one who is the propitiation for our sins, the one who appeases, the one who pays the price. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. I could go on because the Bible is full of references like this. And I've got a few more I'll just throw in along with the message today. 
Now, the essence of this doctrine has been put together with an, an acronym, and it means, uh, it is the word TULIP, uh, just a five-letter uh, word. Uh, the T stands for total depravity. The U stands for unconditional election. The L, right in the middle, stands for limited atonement. I stands for irresistible grace. P, for predestination. This is a theory as a whole that's known as Calvinism. Again, growing rapidly, running rampant in Christian circles around the world. Churches, even Baptist churches. I've got many, many friends who have turned after this. I'm not telling you that they're all evil people or bad people. A lot of these folks are missionaries. A lot of them are evangelists. But it has something right in the heart of it that I take serious opposition to. Limited Atonement. Limited atonement. That is the idea that Jesus didn't die for everybody. Now along the way, this uh, theory has gone in a lot of different directions. It's scattered all over the world. But one of the ways that it, it went was it created an, a, a, a Danish, a Dutch theologian is the one who began to uh, espouse this around the turn of the last century, around the 1900s, where he began to see the elect people as a special or a masterful people and all the others, those unredemptive people, those people who were beyond redemption, those people who could never be saved, those people that God didn't care enough about to send Jesus to the cross for, those people that were left out, then he coined an interesting word for it. I can't pronounce it in Dutch or German, so I'll just pronounce it in English. It means subhuman. Subhuman. I'm not telling you that every Calvinist believes that way. I'm just telling you that Calvinism went that way around the 1900s. Whole classes of people then were declared to be beyond redemption. And I'll tell you what, when you take that idea and you apply it to a class of people, here's somebody who can never be saved because they're Jewish. Somebody who can never be saved because they're black. Somebody who can never be saved because they're female. Somebody who can never be saved because of the wrong political persuasion. It's a quick jump from there to all kinds of terrible atrocities being committed against those people declared subhuman, beyond redemption. Jesus didn't die for them. I always liked what the great evangelist Bailey Smith said once when uh, he said that uh, if we could hang a sign uh, around the, the neck of everybody in the world that would be a message to them directly from God, he said that sign would say, precious to God. <laughs> precious to God. Every man, every woman, every boy, every, every girl on this planet, everybody, everybody is precious to God. And so the truth of not a limited atonement, but an unlimited atonement is something that Paul was presenting in this passage, and it was a driving force in his life. So that even when he was accused of being beside himself, accused of losing his mind, as Paul said, no, I'm not, I hadn't lost my mind. <laughs> not at all. 
You remember when he was before Festus and he shared with him the testimony of the gospel. And as he said these things, Festus said to him in Acts 26 and 24, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Uh, apparently this is something Paul got a lot. I heard the story uh, this week about a, uh, a, a nurse. Uh, uh, she worked for a doctor, and she went rushing into the doctor and said, Doctor, we got a problem out here. we got a guy in the waiting room that believes he's invisible. What do you want me to do? And the doctor said, Tell him we can't see him. <laughs> oh, I love that one. <laughs> uh, what's that mean? It don't mean nothing. I just thought it was kind of cute, you know. Paul would say, no, I'm not crazy. I'm not beside myself. I hadn't lost my mind. I know that Jesus Christ loves everybody. I know that Jesus Christ died for everybody. Paul would even say to the church at Rome, I am a debtor. <laughs> I, I owe an obligation. I, I have a debt to pay. Both to the Jew and to the Gentile, to the educated, to the uneducated, to the Scythian, to the free, I'm ready, he said, therefore, to preach the gospel to you in Rome also. Why? Uh, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm a debtor. Well, I've got uh, three things this morning to share with you about uh, the implications that Paul puts into this text of what it means when one dies for all. Uh, first of all, it means God loves all. I know that's a little bit uh, uh, obvious, and yet it's right there in the text. For the love of Christ constrains us, motivates us, compels us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. <clears throat> you see, Paul makes a simple point. If Jesus died for all, <laughs> if his death uh, was given, then he died for all who were dead. All were dead. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it this way. Uh, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The fact is, before we knew Jesus Christ, before we were saved, we were all dead. We were dead to God, dead spiritually. Though we might be very much alive physically, we're dead spiritually, dead to the things of God, separated from God, alienated from the life that is only available through Jesus Christ. Christ died then for all those who were dead. And he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. I want to share with you one of the most famous passages of Scripture at this point uh, in the New Testament. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because why why because he was left out of the redemptive plan of God because Jesus didn't die for him because he wasn't one of God's chosen no he that believeth not is uh, condemned because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God 
He's condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And aren't you glad that that passage says, Whosoever, whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The basis of the condemnation that exists, the reason why people are dead and are trespasses and sins is because they have not believed on Jesus Christ as their Savior. But that same opportunity then is extended to all in this passage. Whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to know this morning that there is a place of absolute equality. It is a place where all are equally guilty. A place where all are equally sinners. A place where all are equally under the condemnation of God. But a place where Jesus hung on the cross and shed his ruby red royal blood for all. There's a place of absolute equality. And that place is the cross of Jesus Christ where one died for all. One died for all. Now, we are living in a world where there is much injustice. There is much inequality. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of injustice. That is true. I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'm simply going to declare to you this morning that the reason why there is injustice, the reason why there is inequality, the reason why there is suffering, the reason why there is persecution, all goes back to the same fountain. It all springs from the same source, and that source is sin. And the solution that God gave to sin is the cross of Jesus Christ. So there is a place of absolute equality where all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Where all are justified freely by His grace. Secondly then, if one died for all, then of course number one, that means God loves all. God so loved the world. But it also means that the atonement then is not limited the atonement is not limited. If one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I love that old horse and voice, John the Baptist, standing there in the Jordan River, <laughs> and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, it's in John chapter 1, that taketh away the sins of a few folks. That's not what he said. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Of the world. That's uh, John 129. 
1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now he'd just talk about praying, how that we should pray for everybody. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Well, I want to do the will of God. Well, this is one thing the Bible specifically identifies as being God's good and acceptable will. This is what God wants from us. He wants us to pray for people, lots of them, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. God desires all men to be saved. The Old Testament prophet gave us the flip side of that. God said, I have no pleasure, he said, in the death of the wicked. But he does say, I want, I will, I desire all men to be saved. Jesus Christ to that end then gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Over the many centuries, there have been other, many, many efforts to try to replace this passage of Scripture with the idea that there are other mediators between us and God. Some people have established uh, an idea of a priesthood in the New Testament. And let me just quickly tell you, the Bible teaches, the, the New Testament teaches the priesthood of believer, that he has made us all kings and priests unto God. But there are those who want to inject a, a human being, a man, uh, a priest into that position as a mediator, uh, as if somehow you need something to get you uh, uh, to Jesus Christ. Some people want to put the church in that position, and they've created a monstrous theological system where the church becomes another mediator. The Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. And all of those of you who are watching on television today, everyone in this building, if you find yourself praying to somebody else, you need to stop and pray to Jesus Christ because there is only one mediator between us and God, the man, Christ Jesus. If one died for all, then the atonement is not limited. And the Bible does tell us that God wants all men to be saved, not just a few, not just some, but God wants all to be saved and that Jesus Christ died as a ransom for all. The third thing then, the third implication that is given to us in this text, that God loves us, the atonement is not limited, and then all can be recreated in Christ. And that he died for all, he says, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Paul says, I don't know anybody after the flesh. <laughs> Paul stood before kings. You understand that? Stood before governors. You understand that? But Paul didn't think any more about standing before a king and preaching the gospel to him than he did going out in the street and preaching it to a street person or a beggar. Why? He did not regard the person of anybody. Nobody. I don't regard any man. The only thing that matters is, are they in Christ or not? 
Do they know Jesus or not? Governors need to get saved. Presidents need to get saved. Kings need to be saved. Dictators need to be saved. Millionaires and billionaires need to be saved. We all have need of the same salvation. If Jesus Christ, you see, died for all, then there is nobody beyond the pale of redemption. There is no one that cannot be recreated in Christ Jesus. Oh, we were all created in the flesh. And yes, we were all uh, marred by the presence and by the power of sin. But sin does not get the last word in your life or in mine. Our Savior does. He tells us then that since we know Jesus Christ, we no longer live unto ourselves. You see, it's possible for us as a human being to wrap up our whole life in just me. Live for me, live for mine, what I can get, what I do. Uh, one guy described it this way, he said they, they make all they can, can all they can get, and then sit on the can. Uh, <laughs> you understand? Uh, we can just live for ourselves. But here in this passage it says, no, now we live for the one who died for us and rose again. There's a new standard of living for us. We live for Jesus. There's a new perspective in life. We look at people and ask, not uh, what kind of bank account they have, or what kind of business they have, or what kind of house they live in, or where. But we ask, are they in Christ or not? And if any man, any man, any man, any human being, we could put it that way, be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Well, what exactly then does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked because in verse 18 he tells us, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, reconciling the world unto himself, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. What's it look like to be a new creation in Christ? Well, it doesn't mean that all our bad habits just miraculously go away, although some of them do. I've heard a lot of people give a testimony, you know, I got saved, and it, it all went just like that. A lot of other people struggle. Maybe you're one of those that still struggle. We've all got those besetting sins. The Bible talks about the sin that does so easily beset us. And all of us have got a weak spot or two in our armor, an Achilles heel, something that just comes along and grabs us rather routinely. Sins of attitude, <laughs> this old tongue. Oh, man, James was right when he said the tongue is a fire, wasn't it? My, behold, how great a matter a little fire can kindle. You see, when we were saved and become a new creation in Christ, it does not mean that there'll never be another sin in our life or that there'll never be another problem. It does tell us, though, that we have been created in Christ Jesus and we are now an ambassador for Jesus Christ. What's it look like to be a new creature in Christ? <laughs> well, you've got a whole new job description on your life. Ambassador for Christ. Ambassador. For Christ. As you go about your life and living, you represent Jesus Christ in this sin cursed world. This world is no longer your home, 
because you're now citizens of heaven. As a lot of people are trying to convince everybody in the world today that if you get saved, you'll be a Republican. <laughs> uh, now, 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 I like Republicans. I don't mind telling you. I do. I, I agree with them a lot philosophically. Um, I'm a conservative by political party. But I want you to know that I have a new identity in Jesus Christ that surpasses any political affiliation. My primary loyalty is to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We worship him. We're citizens of heaven. We're on an outpost. We're here as ambassadors then, representatives of Jesus Christ in this sin-cursed world. We carry him with us everywhere we go. Paul would talk about how we are diffusing the fragrance of Christ like a, a bearer of incense. You ever walked in one of those stores where they had the incense going and it almost choked you? I, I don't know what it is about that stuff. I just, <coughs> I want to, it irritates my eyes. Oh man, I can't hide it. Uh, well, he's describing us as Christians and being exactly that, that way. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, we're spreading around the fragrance of Jesus Christ and of his redeeming power through him. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we are praying with people, pleading with them, be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ then gives out a magnificent invitation in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 when he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Has anybody in this building besides me and Nancy come home at night and said, I'm tired? Anybody else saying that? Maybe it's just some of you old folks like us are, are nodding your head. I'm going to tell you something there's worse. I'm, I'm sorry for, I, I let my South Arkansas a little bit. I'm going to tell you something. Sorry, I, I try to be a little more. Dignified. Let me tell you something today. <laughs> There's a weariness of soul that comes from carrying a burden you were never intended to carry. From struggling with things that you were never intended to struggle with. And Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, reaches out to you and says, Come here. Let me take that for you. Let me take that guilt. Let me take that sorrow. Let me tell, take that feeling of inadequacy. Let me take that struggle. Let me take that heart-rending pain. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He gives us a marvelous illustration then of his invitation. Take my yoke upon you. This is the yoke of oxen primarily in the scriptures. And in fact, the Old Testament law forbids you to link up animals together where an oxen, for example, and a donkey. And the reason, of course, would be that the oxen would end up carrying all the load. And that really wasn't fair to that poor little ox, that big old oxen to have to do everything. And the Bible says don't do it. When we yoke up with Jesus, though, we're in the yoke with him. That means we're walking in step with him. 
And guess who is pulling all the load? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly at heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. There is no fatigue like soul fatigue. Soul fatigue will spread over to your body. It'll have you convinced, man, something's wrong with me. There is. Your soul is feeling its weakness. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. He does that primarily through that great work of salvation. As he delivers us from the power of sin. We were in bondage unto sin, the Bible says. There's no slavery like a slavery to sin. And yet we can be made the servants of Jesus Christ. And we will live out then that glorious feeling that he described. And if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Indeed. One died for all. I want to wrap this up this morning with a, with a few uh, observations as our praise team comes and we began to prepare for the end of the service. Because one died for all, folks, that means you can confidently say to the next person you meet on the street, God loves you and Jesus died for you. I can't imagine what it would be like to have to go out and face this sin-cursed world and say, well, maybe God loves you. Maybe Jesus died for you. I'm glad we can go out confidently knowing that we'll never look another person in the eyes that we can't say to them, God loves you and Jesus Christ died for you. And he gives you then this great invitation, come unto me, come unto me. Aren't you tired of carrying that burden on your own? Come to me. And I will give you rest. Come unto me. Come unto me. And I will give you rest. There's nothing that establishes the worth or the value of humanity like the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death for us on the cross. Nothing tells you how much you matter. Nothing explains to you what you are worth more than looking at the cross of Calvary where Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, died for you and not for you only. He died for the sins of the whole world. Nothing says you matter like the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that it is not a limited atonement, but an unlimited atonement that is taught in the Scriptures. When we turn away from the gospel, then man has to invent his own ways of deciding what somebody's worth. Deciding what to value in humanity. We don't have any trouble showing that. 
humanity at, at large, the world as a whole. I mean, it's all going to come down to what you'd pay for it. I mean, what will you pay a man for his life, for his time? Well, if you're a sports figure and you can do this well enough or 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 this well enough or this well enough, we'll pay you millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. But if you stand in front of a classroom five days a week and teach kids how to read and write and cipher, different story isn't it do you ever feel like maybe there's a distorted view out there of what people are worth what life is worth what time is worth there is and it's all based on your performance what you can do am I right Jesus Christ has a different standard. He died for you. He died for you all. Because all of you are precious to Him. One died for all. The question is, of course, will you believe it? Will you receive it? Because you can know that truth and still turn away from it. Millions do and die and spend eternity in hell. It comes down to really two issues, and this was it's not unique to me. This is the idea of a great evangelist who said that really there's two sides of humanity. On one side are those who say, not my will, but thine be done. And on the other side, he said, were those who say, not thy will, but mine be done. And those who live their life saying, not my not thy will, but mine be done, will one day stand before God. You know what God's going to tell them? Thy will be done. You chose to live without me. You turned away from my free offer of salvation. You chose darkness rather than light. You refused to believe. And there's an eternal place the Bible calls hell that awaits for those say, not thy will, but mine be done. Don't make that mistake. I can ask our praise team to lead us in a song. Brother Bill, you go ahead. Let's all stand together and we'll sing together.